Welcome to On Democracy with F.P. Wellman. Coming to you from beautiful St. Louis, Missouri, where I've just returned after being away for quite a while down in Atlanta, helping my friend Marcus Flowers from near Atlanta. As always, the show is sponsored by our friends at Vi Media. They are, of course, an award-winning digital marketing agency and your marketing partner that generates proven growth in a variety of different industries. They can serve all of your digital marketing needs, and I hope you'll give them a call. Uh, check them out at vi.media, which, of course, is vie.media on the web. I really like these guys. They've been very good to me. But, uh, man, this week has been crazy, right? <laughs> uh, and I think I said that every week, of course, but, you know, I have some thoughts and uh, and not all the ones you think I'll have. So let's just get right to it. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Again, this is On to Mox with F.P. Wellman. Check your ticket. Make sure you're on the right flight. I am, of course, Fred Wellman. I'm so glad to have you here for the show. Uh, the show where we talk with smart people who are fighting for our democracy across this great country and around the world. And of course, sometimes, you know, you just got to talk to me like today. It is just me. I'll be honest with you. I, I was trying to figure out the best guest for this week, and I had several options and some great folks were stepping up. But between my schedule being all screwed up, which is why we're day late, and between uh, travel and between really not knowing sure exactly how the midterms would turn out, I said, you know what, I'll just chat myself. And so you guys are stuck with me once again. But oh my God, the guests coming up the next few weeks are going to be great. I'm very excited about where we're going with the show as we look at, you know, after the election, what's next for our democracy? Where are the fights? I think you're going to love what we're doing. Uh, there's some if you look at if you're watching online, you can see some great books behind me. A lot of the authors you see on that bookshelf will be coming on the show. And I, man, I can't wait. Now, like I said, this episode is a day late. Just traveled back from Georgia, helping my friend Marcus Flowers and Georgia's 14th district. You know, I, I, as you, I'm sure you know that the race didn't go our way as much as we'd like. That's certainly um, cause for concern and, and disappointment. Uh, but I'll, I'll share some brief perspective on that. You saw my last uh, solo show. I kind of was really salty after the debate. Uh, I won't be as salty today because, you know, in the end, there's a lot of positive, even in Northwest Georgia, and certainly positive across the country. And, you know, I'm just not feeling it today. I'm not feeling uh, being salty. I'm feeling good. I'll tell you a secret. I'm going to go visit my grandkids. So how can you be salty when you're going to visit your grandkids, right? So let's just talk about a few things that are going on now. Yesterday, which would normally be the day for the show, was the Marine Corps' uh, 247th birthday. Now, those of you who may not know many Marines would be shocked to discover that the Marine Corps is actually a cult. And I'll get into that. <laughs> now, I'm sure there are people who disagree with me, but I'm telling you right now, the Marine Corps is a cult. If you look at the definition of cult, they're a cult. And they know it. They know it, I'm telling you right now. And uh, and what this happens about this time of year, November, they start really talking about their birthday. They're obsessed about their birthday. Uh, there's a famous story about how the Congress authorized a, a, a naval, naval infantry, if you will, and they re recruited them at a place called Tun Tavern in Philadelphia, which was uh, rebuilt at the Marine Corps Museum in Quantico, Virginia. I know it because my, I used to live near Quantico. My father was a Marine. At the tail end of World War II, he lied about his age, got into the Marine Corps from New Jersey. Uh, actually, excuse me, actually, was, yeah, I think he was, no, he was living in Massachusetts then. Anyway, joined the Marine Corps, uh, loved it made an impression for the rest of his life. Oh my God, he called it the head or the deck for the rest of his life. Uh, I used to come home from college to visit my dad, you know, West Point. My dad would wake me up at, you know, six in the morning to brief me on his day. I'm like, dad, you know, I don't care. <laughs> so, you know, once a Marine, always a Marine. So happy birthday to our fellow Marines. But, you know, it's a funny story about West Point and the Marine Corps, and I have to tell it. 
So as I was getting ready to go to college here from St. Louis, a small town called Kirkwood, Missouri, uh, I applied to the the places you would apply to here, University of Missouri. All of my brothers and sisters went to Mizzou, so it seemed inevitable I would go as well. Um, one of the interesting things about Mizzou, they have a Marine Corps ROTC at the time. So I decided to apply for Marine Corps ROTC as well as apply to West Point. You know, as it turns out, so as I was going through the process, application process for the Marines, you had to do like a physical, you had to do a physical fitness test. The oddest thing, they had me go down to the recruiting station down in downtown St. Louis, and a young Lance Corp, who was probably 18 years old, was tasked to give me, a high school senior, my physical fitness test. Now, look, you may not know it from looking at me now, but in my youth, I was quite healthy and quite the athlete. I was a state champion swimmer. Uh, I had played hockey up until going to high school and going full-time into swimming as my main sport. Um, I had won medals, all that good stuff. I was in pretty darn good shape then. And so, but what was weird is we, just, we do push-ups, sit-ups, the usual stuff. I did fine and I did great. And then he takes me over a run. And the run was literally through downtown St. Louis. Like we had to stop at like stoplights. <laughs> and I don't remember him timing it. But anyway, we get back to the recruiting station. I don't think he liked me. I'm just, I just had a vibe, you know? And um, anyway, I kind of, it was kind of pivotal. So a few weeks later, what do you know? I get into West Point. And that's the year they had a massive number of people applying, 1983 for West Point. It was Reagan. It was the heyday of Reagan's, you know, the patriotism. People were joining the military in droves for the first time since Vietnam. I was part of that wave that felt a compelled, you know, compelled to serve. Uh, my family had served. I did mention my father was a World War II veteran. His father was a World War I veteran. Um, going back on our family line, we went all the way back to the French and Indian War. But believe it or not, we actually had service members in the United States Army uh, before there was a country. Uh, it was actually the British Army then. Uh, and then we even had a Minuteman that applied that actually was um, called up for the Lexington Alarm uh, in Boston and served through the uh, through Trenton with Washington and the 13th Continental Army. So really quite a military history in my family. So it was inevitable I went in. Well, I get into West Point that year, and I think they had 10,000 applicants for just 1,000 positions. So it was pretty competitive. Uh, one in 10. So flash forward, after I get into West Point, I get a letter from the Marine Corps. And it's like this tattered letter. It was weird. And, and it got lost in the mail. And I open it. And it says, you know, Mr. Wilma, we're sorry to let you know that, unfortunately, uh, you were not selected for Marine Corps ROTC. It was very competitive this year. We had well over 7,000 applicants for 4,000 positions, <laughs> right? Which is a hell of a thing to say in a letter. Uh, hey, by the way, you're one of the losers who didn't get in. And and I was like, well, whatever. I got into West Point. My dad was pissed. I mean, this guy, <laughs> he bled crimson. You know, he bled, you know, the halls of Montezuma, this guy, right? And he was so pissed. He literally wrote a letter to the commandant of the Marine Corps to cuss him out that they rejected a kid who got into West Point. <laughs> what? So I tell you, for years, every time I spoke to Marine Corps audience, even to this day, I always tell them, I say, well, you know, it's really proud to be here talking to Marines. I, I myself was not good enough to get to the Marines. <laughs> I had to go to West Point as a as my uh, my backup. And uh, there we have it. But uh, God bless the Marines, and I do love serving with them. It was funny that I was I was at I was down in Georgia with Marcus, and uh, one of our colleagues there is a, we were all served we all served in Iraq together. You probably don't know that, but and uh, Sergeant Major Dan um, was there, and he's a Marine Corps Sergeant Major back in the day. He was my Sergeant Major at my last tour in Iraq. And he's a Marine. And uh, he was kind of giving me crap about the Marine Corps birthday coming up. And, and he goes, ah, oh, sir, come on. Uh, you probably, when's the Army birthday? I said, sorry, Major. 
I don't fucking know. I'm, we're not in a cult. <laughs> June, you know. <laughs> now, I do know. But nonetheless, I had to make my point that the Army, unlike the Marine Corps, is not a cult. However, today is Veterans Day. Um, you know, I have a, a unique relationship with Veterans Day. I, I actually, I like Veterans Day. Memorial Day kind of gets me down. So the Memorial Day show will probably be a bummer. I apologize. Veterans Day, you know, I'm very proud. I'm proud of the service. I'm proud of the people I served with. I'm proud of incredible men and women. Um, I had the pleasure of serving both in the United States, overseas, also in combat, three tours. Um, and I'm so proud of the people I knew and my service because, you know, I got to see history unfold. If you go to my Instagram, I'll probably post some pictures and I post them on Twitter. If you're, if you follow me on my FP woman official on Instagram and, you know, I just, um, it was a good, it's a good veterans day this year. Um, we passed the burn pit legislation. Uh, a lot of my peers are getting the help and the health support they need. And it's just, uh, it was a good year for veterans. I think I really do. And I got to tell you, it was a good year for veterans in the midterms because a lot of the people who ran, first of all, we had a record number of veterans run this year in the midterms, uh, on both sides, which is fantastic. Either way it shakes out. We'll probably have a record number, uh, in since probably 20 years, of veterans serving in Congress, which is good on both sides of the aisle, um, which is really good. Um, some of the really crazy ones didn't make it. Some did. Um, but it's it's been a good year for veterans, in my opinion. So I uh, appreciate uh, a lot of you folks been reaching out to me online, wishing me happy Veterans Day. I appreciate that more than you know. Uh, and to those who served, I, I thank you for your service uh, as well, because it matters. Uh, our service matters. And, and it's good to be in a country that recognizes that. So what's been going on? Well, as you know, I had two campaigns I worked this year. I was a senior advisor for Luke Mixon, who ran for Senate down in Louisiana um, against John Kennedy. And I was the uh, senior advisor and communications director for Marcus Flowers in Georgia's 14th district. And uh, we came up short. And I've, I've taken some criticism online, which, uh, you know, is the way it is. Um, a lot of folks, you know, especially Mark saying Marcus's campaign, saying how we spent so much money and it was wasted. That money could have been better allocated elsewhere. If you've watched the show before, you know, I will make a very simple point on that. The money that Marcus raised and we raised in that campaign was all small dollar donors, almost exclusively small dollar donors. There was no money from DNC. There was no money from DCCC. Um, there was no money from uh, corporate PACs. There was no very few maxed out donors, like 500 or less. We ran no fundraisers outside of the district. like So there was no Hollywood fundraisers, no New York fundraisers. None of that occurred. What did occur was over 700,000 Individual Americans donated the av an average of $21 that I had campaign because they wanted to see a fight for Marjorie Taylor Greene. They wanted to see someone, someone take on the MAGA queen and not let just her go unopposed or weakly opposed into Congress. And we did. We ran a professional campaign. Um, we had 17 field staffers who were paid a living wage. We had... Um, we had a very capable digital imprint. We had a very capable get out the vote campaign. We do all the things you're supposed to do in a professional campaign, run ethically by good people who did it by the book. Um, we even, and it'll come out, gave money to the local Democratic parties because they had not been supported in a long time. We even gave money to the major statewide candidates to include Jen Jordan and uh, me Nyan and others. Um, we have, even now, we're paid off the debt of some of the candidates who ran because we want to see more Democrats step up. But here's the thing, two things you need to note. Number one, we did increase the vote. Although Marcus came up at 34 points, um, that is higher than the 25 points in the last time. And it's the highest any Democrats gotten in that district in decades. Two, we turned out at least, the numbers are still coming in, of course, at least 15,000 Dems who hadn't voted previously. 
Now, if you know how close the margin was for Reverend Warnock, that means that Reverend Warnock, up ticket for us, if people voted for us, they voted for Raphael Warnock. Those folks are part of the reason that Raphael Warnock is now in a runoff and didn't lose to Walker. You know who knows that? Reverend Warnock. The turnout operation in Northwest Georgia was key to him still being in the race and the control of the Senate hangs in the balance. I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud of our get out of the vote effort and its impact for us and up ticket. So look, criticize all you want. Um, the nice thing is I know for a fact we run the most ethical above board campaign that you could have run. And then my final note, I'll ask a lot of the organizations, there are organizations that have beat me up a little bit. And my question is this, where were you? For the organizations that have have you know said, oh, that was a lot of money, they sat it out. All the major national organizations you know and love, and I'm not going to name names, but because there is none to name, there literally everyone sat this race out. Everyone said it was an R plus 35 district and said, no, thanks. They allowed the most vile person to serve the United States Congress to just run virtually unopposed nationally. Ah, uh, sure. They, you see people beating up Bobert. They had negative ads run against Bobert. They had negative ads run against Rafael, uh, uh, Walker. They ran negative ads against J.D. Vance. Everybody attacked all those guys. But no one chose to go against Margie Terrigrini. Not one outside group ran a paid TV ad that I'm aware of against Margie Terrigrini. A few web ads, but nothing on the air. We were on our own. So why do we have to raise all that money? To give her a fight since no one else in the country invested a single dime in that campaign. We'll be forever grateful to the Congressional Black Caucus for endorsing us and giving a little bit of money. We'll be forever grateful for vote vets. Uh, vets for responsible leadership endorsed us, now endorsed us all, you know, but no one ran ads against the queen of the MAGA movement. It was up to us. So I'll accept your criticism. It's fine. That's politics. It's a tough business. Um, but I'll say this. For all those who are criticizing us, I'll ask you this. Where were you? Why would you sit back and allow the most vile person to serve, the most vile member of the MAGA movement to simply walk back to reelection without giving her competition? Our mission was always to give the people of Georgia 14 a choice. And we did a good choice. Marcus is a good man. And he is not going away. He's a great candidate. He's a good-hearted person who cares about Georgia and the country. So that campaign was lost. A lot of great famous people lost their first campaigns. So we'll see how it goes. So that's all I got to say about that. Because frankly, the midterms are great for us. I mean, let's be honest. Red wave. You know, I, I watch CNN all day, unfortunately. And all day long, they were like, oh, well, the Dems screwed up. They didn't talk about the economy enough. They didn't talk about crime enough. I mean, our, the people on our side were criticizing us all day. Then they'd interview people coming out of the polling place saying, oh, it's the economy. Oh, it's the economy. Oh, okay. And then one person about abortion. And then at five o'clock, I'll never forget it. At five o'clock, their own exit polls come out. And, and what are people talking about? Priority? 35% in the CNN exit poll, their priority was abortion. 35%. The number one issue was abortion in their exit polls. Not the economy, not crime, because everybody got bullshitted by the red wave bullshit from the right. And the media and their effort to not look biased, biased, left biased, bought into that bullshit and predicted a red wave. I mean, even as the votes were being cast, they were criticizing the Democratic Party and the candidates for not doing enough. And guess what? They were wrong. And what was really sick is all this fawning over Ron DeSantis, 
Come on. Ron DeSantis was running on third base. He changed the laws in the state, made it harder to vote. He's got to walk around. His legislature does whatever he tells him to do. He literally walks all over him. He's he's got run. He's like a little dictator down there. Of course, he's run fucking re-election. It's like it's like Putin. Putin getting eighty nine percent of the vote. No shit. Okay. No, we should be talking about Gretchen Whitmer. Holy crap, Gretchen Whitmer, who had overcome a damn a, a conspiracy in her life, a, a, a very well funded opponent, MAGA girl Tudor Dixon national spotlight not only did Gretchen Whitmer win she flipped her freaking senate for the first time in like 20 years and now we get word today that something like 125 like of the election denier CRT types ran for school boards in that state and like 75 percent of them lost it was a sweep of Michigan the star of this election isn't Ron fucking DeSantis it's Gretchen Whitmer and I look forward to learning more about how she did it how she led her state and got reelected. So I tell you, it was a great week for the Democrats. I don't care. Don't believe any of the bullshit. Even if the Congress flips a little bit, come on, y'all. I don't want Nancy Pelosi to lose this speak. I don't want to lose. I don't want to see these people in charge of these committees and the cra crazy shit they're going to do. But I got to tell you, I want to see these people in charge of committees and the crazy shit they're going to do. Because if you don't think the Republicans are going to eat themselves alive, for the next two years, as the MAGA movement tries to assert itself against the normies and the normies trying to control things and they can't, they're going to have to put Margie Terrigrine back on a committee. They're going to have to give Jim Jordan power. They're going to have to give fucking Matt Gates influence to try and pass anything. And it's going to be a mess. And you know what we're going to do? I'm going to watch. We're going to record it. We're going to show the world who these people really are when you give them power. And two years, if you don't think we're going to run against them, this is the lunacy. This is what's going to happen if you give these people more power. Let me tell you, you got another thing coming. So it was great. Sure as hell wasn't a red wave. And it sure as hell wasn't a loss by the Dems. We did well. And I tell you, I saw a chart that shows that President Biden will have the most successful first term midterm results since after 9-11. And, and, and in the top three since John F. Kennedy. The top three first midterm results by any president since John Kennedy. So, yeah, tell me what a failure he is. I'm not hearing it for me. I don't hear you. All right. Finally, let's talk about the thing thing that's been going on a lot. And it does actually affect us together, this this family that's become this podcast. Twitter, because it's a clusterfuck. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. So I'll tell you about my Twitter story and then where we are today. So because the thing that really has bugged me a lot is this all this talk from a lot of people about how people who are blue checks are elites, you know, royalty versus peasants or some bullshit. Let me tell you how I got to get very I joined Twitter, I was in the army, as you know from my wall. I mean, <laughs> there's the 101st Airborne. That's that's a funny story, by the way. I'd say, as you can see, I'm in my home office today, and uh, and uh, I, I okay, I gotta tell the story. If you're so, if you, those of you who are listening to this behind me in my wall is a giant heinous ugly 101st airborne patch with a baseball bat on it and where that came from was i was a young captain in the 101st airborne and i was the acting operations officer for an apache battalion second 101st aviation in 1994 right after ranger school and so uh i'd work i just I was i'm an adhd guy so i walk around talking you know giving orders to my soldiers in the in the operations shop we had there and one of my soldiers played uh 
played softball on our team and he brought his baseball bat, his softball bat into work one day. And I picked it up and being me, we, we, our, our buildings were these decrepit buildings. They were actually, they actually tore them down after I moved, but uh, I would walk around with his baseball bat. I used his baseball bat as a, a pointer. I used his baseball bat to make points. I'd bang on desks, you know, lighthearted. I wasn't a monster. I, it was all funny. It was all fun games. So flash forward a few months later, after I take the operations job, we go to a field exercise and we get caught in a massive fucking ice storm. I mean, an incredible ice storm. Now, for those who understand how Apache helicopters work, Apaches and ice don't go great together. Okay. So we ended up evacuating everyone, uh, but a few skeleton crew members back to the garrison and left the air helicopters in place from this training exercise because they all got frozen in. And there was so much ice, trees were falling and... Um, I mean, it was bad. We were, we were stuck out there. Thank God we have, we had enough, you know, we, we consolidated the group down to like 20 of us. Um, it was interesting where one of our tents had been, one of our big tents with 20 staff members in it or 14 staff members in it. Actually, you could see the outline in the snow and a tree was across it. We would have gotten people killed if we'd stayed. So it was really, honestly, a little bit of a harrowing experience with the all night long being out there hearing trees falling all around you. Uh, I've been in combat and a few things were as nerve wracking to me as being in the ice storm in the woods. But having said all that, um, you know, being soldiers in our ridiculously uh, gallows humor, right? So we were joking about if, if we were stuck out there too long, once they couldn't get, they couldn't get to us because of all the trees that were down. And we said, well, if we run out of food, you know, we'll just start like, you know, we'll get the chunky people in the unit. We'll take them out. <laughs> Right. And so you're like, well, we'll lay a trap. We're going to put like a, you know, Cheetos on a, a string and, and lure one of the pilots in and hit him with the bat. <laughs> and, uh, and I walked around the bat and I was like, and I was like, oh my God, we're all going to die. You know? And it was a big, it was a big running joke. And it became our informal motto was we're all going to die. So flash forward another few months later. And I, I'm, I decided I, um, I, uh, I got a new job and, uh, I said to my troop, my soldiers like, Hey, we might get you a farewell gift. I said, look, you know, don't give me any fucking ugly shit. I said, I said, don't give me some for, for the life of me. Don't give me some ugly fucking hunter first patch that I'm going to be embarrassed about. They, they're like, oh, okay. And this is what they got me. If you see it, and I'll put a picture up on the podcast later. Is this giant? They actually had this custom made giant freaking hunter first patch made out of wood, and then with hooks. And they gave me the bat as my permanent gift. And if you look at the plaque, it says. You know, to Captain Fred Wellman, you know, S3, sixth and her first aviation or second and her first aviation, we're all going to die. <laughs> and so that's that. So there you go. A little, little, little gallows humor military. Um, so I joined Twitter um, as I was still in the military. I was running army social media and I, uh, I was investigating all those different social media platforms. This is 2009. I just got back from my, my last tour in Iraq. And I was working out of the Pentagon. And so I joined Twitter early on just to kind of get a feel for it. People weren't sure about Twitter at that point. It was still pretty new. There was, if people forget how much issues there was privacy, there was privacy issues, there was data leakage. There was, you know, people were just kind of figuring that platform out. But I joined early, like May of 2009. Um, and it worked great. And I was like, whatever, right? You know, people were still put, that was back in the day when you posted pictures of your cupcakes and, you know, criticized the meal you got, the service you got at Waffle House. And, uh, and, and it was really kind of growing. And that, back in those days, you used to have these called tweet-ups. I don't know if ever you guys ever went to a tweet-up, but like in D.C., like D.C. Cupcakes would host a tweet-up and you'd have some influencer, or we didn't call them influencers then, but somebody important, you know, talk, give a talk and we'd all tweet about it, you know? Matter of fact, NASA really pioneered it. NASA would invite us over. You could sign up and um, you could uh, talk to astronauts. At this. I, we did one, my son and I went, where they had an astronaut talking to us from the space station and we tweeted about it. It was really cool. It was early days, a little wild west. But when I, I didn't get Twitter really until one day I'm in my office, I'm getting ready to retire from the army. 
And uh, this guy, Craig Newmark, who is the founder of Craigslist, uh, what tweeted out he's, and he was one of those influencers you followed back in the day. And, and he said, Hey, I'm looking for a veterans nonprofit to support. I want to invest in some veterans. And I was a volunteer for a group called the mission continues <laughs> mission continues. I was their DC guy. It's kind of funny. It was founded by a guy named Eric Greitens. And, uh, we know how that went. So that's a, that's a story in itself, but we'll save it for another day. But then I was really a big fan of it. It's a good organization still exists. And I said, Hey, Craig, I replied, so, hey, I've got a great group I work called The Mission Continues. I'd love to – I think that'd be a great place to put you. They're struggling. They just gotten off the ground. He had four employees. It was just getting off the ground. And he replied, great. I'd love to hear more. Email me at craig at craigslist.com. That's literally his email. He puts it out publicly. So I emailed him. I sent him a long note about Mission Continues. I sent him a link to their donate button. I sent him a, an introduction to Eric Greitens, the founder. And damn it not, what do you know? A week later, Craig Newmark gave them, I want to say, $10,000 which is one of the biggest donations I've ever gotten. And let me tell you, folks, that's when I got Twitter. I mean, that's the power of a tool where you can reach someone of influence like that and you can make a difference in the world. It was like, wow, I just used this tool to reach a celebrity, essentially, and he gave money. And, and interesting thing, by the way, Craig Newmark kept giving money to veterans. He's even on the board of the Iraq, Afghanistan, Veterans of America and gave them, frankly, saved them a couple of years ago, gave them over a million dollars, um, has given money to many, has a whole foundation supporting veterans organizations. I'm not saying I had that, but think about that from a perspective of a social media platform that we all mock, that I was able to influence a, a major, uh, a smart guy to invest in our veterans community. And that's when I got Twitter. That was the day I got it. And, and I kept getting into it. Uh, I got verified. I'm not an elite. Okay. I'm not rich by any stretch of the imagination. This is my basement office. <laughs> um, back in the day, I think 2013, uh, my vice president of my company, Brian Wagner, who's just an amazing guy. He said, Hey Fred, we can actually get verified now since we both use our real names on Twitter. I'd always use my FP one has been my handle since day one. And so, uh, we did, we put in the application where you had to use your real back. Then, I think you had to use your real name. You had to provide an ID. You had to show you're of, of import, like some stories have been written about you. I was a veterans advocate then, had written quite a bit and had stories written about me or participated in stories. So I had enough of a track record. Again, I got verified with like 6,000 followers. No, 3,000 followers. I want to say 3,000. Yeah, 3,000 followers. And then it kind of grew as I as I worked in the veterans world. I used the tool very effectively, I think, as a vet, for my veterans advocacy work. Um, and that was about it. I puddled on about 6,000 followers. And then one day Parkland happened. And... um. I'd written op with some friends. And then on top of that, the kids from Parkland appeared on the Ellen DeGeneres show. And you guys may remember this, but they there's a video that came out of them having a good time backstage at the Ellen DeGeneres show. And a right-wing influencer, a young right-wing influencer said, you know, tweeted something out really terrible, like, oh, look at me having fun after my friends died or something just fucking horrible. And if you know me, you know I'm a widower from my first marriage, my first wife passed away in a car accident and our, our unborn child died with her. She was seven and a half months pregnant when she died. So I take issues around grief and sorrow very personally. And so I tweeted these guys, I, I, I tweeted, I think I quote tweeted the guy saying, you know what, if you don't know, you don't know a fucking thing about grief. I probably did use the F-bomb, but who knows, you know me. <laughs> um, you know, you have no idea what people go through when they grieve, they grieve in different ways, you know, until you actually, something along those lines. I basically exercise you guys if you follow my twitter you know i do this a lot now it was one of my first times really going after somebody hard well that damn thing went viral yeah uh, i remember sophia bush um lovely human being by the way um 
Kathy Griffin, Sarah Silverman, a bunch of really famous people retweeted. I remember standing in my kitchen with my son at the time, um, watching my likes go up on that tweet like a thousand at a time, like blink, blink, blink. And I, I'd never been in the middle of a viral video, a viral tweet before. And it was insane. I mean, that that tweet, I think, ended up with over like a million, like I think it had 13 million impressions by the time it was all set. It was incredible. Um, picked up a bunch of followers. Uh, we went from 6,000 to 13,000 in, in two days of followers. It was nuts. And, uh, and that's when I started kind of really getting some momentum on the platform and using it. I was really able to use it effectively for my advocacy work with, with veterans and with what I did. And then, of course, later I ended up with the Lincoln Project. Um, grew even more. I was able to use it very effective for my work there. And then now in my advocacy, I do now. Um, but I'm not an elite. I'm just some dude who got lucky. I got to know it when you could and probably lose that check mark this week. But why does that matter? Um, Twitter is a very powerful tool for democracy, right? It really is. Uh, even if you're not on it, you're influenced by it. You see stories. I mean, stories are written daily based on Twitter statements or things people have said on Twitter. Twitter is a very big community square. But it's very big, especially for those of us who are pro-democracy advocates and those who are fighting for the small parts of our town. One of the lovely things about Twitter is you can find almost anybody. Any community has a home. Uh, for a while, my ex-wife um, was into like raw milk. Like we actually like bought part of a Mennonite cow or some shit. I don't remember. But every every other week, I'd, every week I'd drive up Northern Virginia to get milk and uh, she would separate it like an old timey, you know, school marm. And, and, you know, we made butter. We made mozzarella cheese you know it's crazy and I, and she was struggling to find recipes and sure enough i go on twitter i just used a hashtag i think i used a hashtag raw milk or something who knows and guess what there was a community for that um just like everywhere you know you can find communities for locals you can find communities for everyone you find historians you find the military mill twitter is a hashtag it's really popular it's a it's a place for a lot of people to find each other unlike any other social platform facebook doesn't allow any of that kind of uh, easy and instagram's instagram's impossible to work with you know and tiktok no it's beyond the fact it's chinese owned again there's nothing else like twitter and it's nothing else like twitter for our democracy so seeing elon musk essentially dismantle it uh, make it unsafe. Uh, it's it's more than every, I see a lot of people laughing about it. You know, they, oh, these blue techs are going to be real mad. We've used that tool. Good people have used that tool. I know authors of books who, obscure topics who have sold their books exclusively through Twitter. Hell, even this podcast, I've noticed that our viewership has plummeted in the in the week since Elon Musk took over. Could be me though. I mean, you know, whatever. <laughs> but I have noticed a difference in just this little free platform that I use that I make podcasts on. Um, so it's a very serious issue for our democracy to see Elon and his friends dismantling Twitter. And I hope you won't just laugh it off. It is serious. And I hope that he doesn't do it. I hope that he's able to figure it out. Um, I do. Uh, I don't like him in any stress of imagination. I believe he is a terrible person. Um, you know, one of those people was born not on third base, but sliding into home and has been told how an awesome baseball player he is his whole life. He's not. He's just a rich guy who threw his money around and still does. So we'll see what happens. I, I hate, I've got an Instagram, FP Wellman official. I've, I've joined you know, counter social, I'll join a Mastodon, all those places, but nothing replicates the experience of Twitter, unfortunately. And so I'm, I'm cautiously hopeful and uh, nervous, but hopeful that they can figure their shit out and, and return it to its, its proper place in our democracy, uh, not just our community, but our democracy. So that's this week's thoughts. Um, I appreciate all of you and your support. I've got some great guests lined up. I mean, you're not going to believe what we've got coming. Uh, you'll see Ruth Bangia, author of Strongman. You'll see uh, my friend Tony Messenger. He's written a wonderful book called Profit and Punishment, which is on our stack. Um, 
you'll see, uh, I think we're gonna, I think I got my friends, Heather Thomas and Morgan Fairchild to come on, which I'm really excited about because believe it or not, even knowing this is a democracy podcast, those two ladies are very big democracy advocates and have done some amazing stuff. And I can't wait for you to talk to them. They're lovely human beings and, and much, much more. Um, so with all that, Thank you for tuning in. Thanks for all your support. As always, you can find me, well, still on Twitter, at FP Wellman. You can find me on those other platforms. I'll probably be at FP Wellman on all of them because that's my jam. Uh, my Instagram is FP Wellman Official. I'd love you to follow me there. I, I post a lot of pictures on there and, and talk about the day's events. And with that, I appreciate you. We'll see you next week on time, I hope, and right here at the same place. Have a great week.